0: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I'm delighted to be joined today by David Hill. He's a writer from Hot Springs, Arkansas. His work has appeared regularly in Grantland and The Ringer and has been featured in The New Yorker, The New York Times, GQ, and New York Magazine, as well as on This American Life. He lives in Nyack, New York with his wife and three children, where he serves as the president, vice president, of the National Writers' Union. And The Vapors is his first book. Welcome, David. So you wrote a book about a place where you've spent a lot of time. Tell me about hearing stories about what Hot Springs was like back in the heyday and then deciding to go back and uh, try to distinguish, you know, family lore from fact.
1: I mean, I think that 's well put i I grew up in hot springs in the 1980s a decade on since the sort of gambling heyday had ended and um, the story, there was a I grew up around a lot of folklore and legend about those days, and I think that um, a lot of it I came to learn wasn 't necessarily true or it was like you know it was just that it was folklore it was um, tall tales or whatever and I think that's a product of this community's attempt to really um, hide this history. You know, the 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 end of gambling in Hot Springs was um, brought about by you know, kind of like, you know, Bible thumping Baptists, and (laughs) um, you know, there was a real political move to like shut this down. And the city and the state tried to like reinvent Hot Springs' image as like a family destination. And so, because they really wanted to like hide all that and obscure it, a lot of these stories became kind of taboo. There was something kind of um, titillating for me when I was young to learn these stories, but, but, um, but they were, you know, sort of like hushed tones back then. Um, And that made it harder, I think trying to write a book about it to, to uncover these stories because people went to such great lengths to hide what they'd done.
0: And so tell me about that. You, you know, you have this, the family story um, where your, your grandmother is a main character in the book and then of course you have this, this whole other story about it's like a who's who of, of the mob in, in the good old days kind of.
1: The yeah. book follows three char- main characters. Um, as you said, one of them is my grandmother. Uh, the other character is a man named Oni Madden who is a, um, one of the sort of three top New York prohibition bosses um, and crime, you know, crime lords of, uh, the prohibition era in New York city. He sort of, he started the cotton club and he was a, you know, he was a gangster of great import. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, the 1920s. And then the third character is a man named Dane Harris, who was a local guy who kind of rose up to become kind of the boss, what they call the boss gambler, you know, the kind of ringleader of the gambling business, illegal gambling business in hot springs into the 1960s. And I try, I tell these three people stories in parallel for most of the book. Um, and, uh, sort of trace each of their lives as they arrive in Hot Springs and what, you know, kind of where their life takes them. But by the end of the book, their lives kind of, you know, intersect. I mean, Oni Madden comes to Hot Springs um, after he gets out of prison in the early thirties to kind of lay low and he ends up getting married and spending the rest of his life there. And he becomes kind of like the mobs man in Arkansas and Dane Harris, a young Dane Harris sort of meets Oni Madden and Oni kind of starts to uh, mentor him in the, in the world of uh you know the criminal gambling enterprise and my grandmother as she grows up in hot springs she sort of works in and around a lot of these clubs and sort of aspires to you know one day you know make it big become a bigger part of it all to you know play a, a bigger role in all of this and so um They all three sort of meet at this place called the Vapors. That um, it's a club that Dane Harrison's up building. It's like his big dream is is to have the club like this, and he opens the Vapors. My grandmother works there. Um, Oni Madden is a part of it as well, and um, and so the book sort of all culminates there at the end at the at this club.
0: So I don't know much about gambling, and the (laughs) fact that your grandmother was hired, her her job was to be a shill. Mm -hmm. Tell me. yeah
1: said so it. a show player is somebody who plays with the house's money you know to kind of keep games going or to um to fill in games where there might be a need for somebody to sit at a seat or maybe just to sort of you know be an attractive person who you know makes people want to come and play but these are the kinds of jobs that my grandmother had her whole life i mean she was a bit of a hustler and she um you know if she could find a job carrying a tray she would but but more often than not she was drawn to these sort of more illicit jobs. Like she would work for the auction houses to try to like scam tourists into like bidding more on on items or whatever. And she would, she traveled with a man, a car, a carny, and she spent a lot of time traveling with the carnival, like hustling people at the carnival to play these like rigged games. So she was a bit of a con artist. And I think being a show player probably was attractive to her because she got to spend time in these like really luxurious clubs, even though she was very poor. And pretend, you know, I imagine that she liked to pretend, you know, that she liked being able to role play, that she was somebody wealthy that could afford to be sitting at these tables and gambling with doctors and lawyers and whatnot, and celebrities and whatnot, when really she was there, you know, um, sort of working for the club.
0: And she, I mean, so you talk about how... Um she had a real rough start in life she she was basically dropped off in hot springs by her father at the age Mm -hmm. of 16. um tell me about getting into that family history like is it is this all stuff that you had some idea about were you uncovering something that you weren't aware of
1: some yes and some no i i knew some of my grandmother's life from my father who, you know, was spoke to me growing up fairly candidly. And I knew my grandmother, you know, when I was a kid. Um, and uh, so I knew that she had a wildlife and I knew that she, you know, kept company with kind of a, a, a wild cast of characters, some of whom I got to know when I was a kid who were still kind of around. But no, I don't think I knew the depths of it. And I think really spending time researching this book um, and being like an adult now speaking to, people who were adults in my life as a child who hid things from me, who were more willing to tell me these things now as an adult, I think I learned a lot more um, than I ever knew about the kind of depths that, that hard life really um, took. I mean, she, you know, my father and his brothers and my grandmother grew very poor and I always knew that. Um, But what I didn't know was how much of that poverty was also a function of like actual um, neglect by my grandmother. And so, you know, what, the story I tell in the book is that she, you know, she really falls victim to alcoholism and drug abuse and domestic violence and pretty much every bad thing that can <laughs> beset, you know, a young woman trying to raise a family on her own um, hits her, you know, what I mean, she's she she kind of hits every one of those branches on the way out of the tree and it's um, and she uh, she makes because of that she ends up making a lot of bad choices with regard to her children as well and so the whole thing is just a mess I mean their whole family is just an absolute mess through this through this whole story and like you said she her her whole life in hot Springs started out because as a teenager her father basically drops her off there I mean almost, it's almost like he makes a deal with another family to leave her there with them so that he can buy their car and she ends up you know getting kind of married to the son of the family that he leaves her with so yeah as a at a very young age, she's left there to kind of start her own life. And she's asked to really step up and um, take care of herself at the age of 16. And I think because of that kind of, you know, essentially abandonment and um, at such a young age, I don't think she ever had any sense of, you know, how to be a parent herself when it came time for her to have her own kids. And um, she made a real mess of it.
0: (laughs) And it's important to mention that this was during the Great Depression, The man she would marry had a good job, a solid job delivering ice cream. Mm -hmm. And tell me about how Hot Springs became a place for successful people during, well, maybe it's not the worst depression in our country anymore, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's sort of ironic, right? I mean, the Great Depression is sort of hitting the rest of America, but Hot Springs really saw during that same period of time that their fortunes were rising and that, um, and it's because Hot Springs had built their economy around this gambling business, which was completely illegal. I mean, it was, right. a, it was a wide open, you know, um, it, it was a wide open gambling town. I mean, this wasn't like, I mean, there were a lot of gambling towns across America especially during that period of time. But this was mostly kind of like a speakeasy type situation, like backroom type gambling, you know, where you had to know a password or whatever. There was like a club behind, you know, hidden in the back of a country club or whatever. In Hot Springs, there were just straight up casinos up up and down the block on the street with signs and advertisements. And, you know, it was like wide open because every level of government permitted it. It was, you know, this full scale corruption. But yeah, during this, during the depression, this business was still thriving. And I just thought it was interesting and kind of counterintuitive that during a time of, you know, kind of great desperation and poverty that people would gamble more, but they did. And in a weird way, it makes sense. I mean, people had very little else to turn to or to look Mm -hmm. to, to hope, you know, there was no hope, you know, people weren't thinking like, I will work hard and save money and (laughs) buy a house. Their hope was, well, if I get my hands on a couple of dollars, you know, I'll go shoot dice. And that, You know that's why I think people kind of flocked to places like Hot Springs during the Depression, um, and why we saw these these like casinos really thriving um, while the rest of America, and particularly the rest of Arkansas. You know I think that one of the things about the story of Hot Springs is that Arkansas was really suffering through a lot of the period of this book. You know for different reasons. I mean during the Depression economically, during the Civil Rights Movement. I mean Hot Springs always seemed to have this weird. Bubble around it, where whatever was happening in the rest of Arkansas was completely different in Hot Springs. It was just a different type of town, a different type of community. It insulated itself from from a lot of the problems that the rest of the state was creating for itself.
0: I love that there's a moment in the book where um, Oni insists that it's a town and not a city, Hot Springs. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's like he never really fully respected Hot Springs, even though he ended up living there the rest of his life. Um, because, you know, I mean, Oney's an interesting character because he was a real big shot in New York City. I mean, maybe the biggest of big shots. Right. I mean, this is a guy who, like, you know, kept company with the mayor, the governor and uh, and and newspaper and television stars and movie stars. And I mean, this he was he was a big timer in New York. And then he goes to jail for murder. And then he gets out because back then you could get out of jail for murder. And he has to, (laughs) he has to leave town for a little while. So he comes to Arkansas. And I think it's because the mob at that period of time were um, just getting into the gambling business. I mean, once they no longer had the alcohol business, they turned to gambling as a way to make money. And they saw that Arkansas was a place where there was a lot of gambling going on. So they figured they'd sort of send him down there to check it out and see what was going on and whether or not he could figure out how to get their fingers into it. And, um, and so he, reluctantly goes to hot springs like i said he falls in love and ends up sort of starting a new life for himself down there and um and i think he always felt a little bit above it all i think he always felt like this is this was this was still a cow town to him even though it was you know there were a lot of big things happening there it was never big enough for oni madden
0: <laughs> and and it do, it did seem to um be in the shadows of so many other places first havana
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and and then of course the specter of Vegas looms uh, larger and larger as the book goes on.
1: Yeah, and so the, one of the stories I'm trying to tell with this book is that you know Hot Springs was really Las Vegas before we had Las Vegas, and for the long for a good amount of time, Las Vegas lived in the shadow of Hot Springs. I mean, you know, Havana was always the kind of big gambling resort, and it's the mob parked a lot of money there, mm-hmm. and it was really where a lot of people were hoping that would become this this you know, the the place that the mob could make a fortune, you know, running kind of a legitimate gambling enterprise. Um, and then the revolution, you know, they uh, put an end to that. And so there was mm-hmm. a little bit of a, of a contest about where would all the mob's money that was invested in Havana, where would it go after the revolution? Would it go to Las Vegas or would it go to Hot Springs? And, you know, Hot Springs had a lot of advantages over Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas was, you know, it was a shitty place. I mean, it was the middle of nowhere. It was like there was... Um, there was no, there was no infrastructure, there was no water, no sewer, no electricity, you know, they really had to build that town out of nothing out there. And, and people also hated going there because it was just so hot and uncomfortable, inhospitable. And Hot Springs had been a resort town for 50 years. I mean, it had been, you know, it had it already had all the it was already, it already had millions of visitors a year coming to Hot Springs. So it made a lot of sense. The only problem was gambling was illegal in Arkansas. And it required a lot of political corruption. So you're always kind of dancing on the On the knife's edge. Um, And in Vegas, gambling was legal. So you didn't have to worry about that. You know, you could just come into town and get a license and open up. And I think that ended up winning out that and I think some of the events that I write about in the book, this kind of interscene war that goes on between a lot of the different folks that are involved also kind of, you know, turn the attention away from it. But but yeah, Hot Springs did sort of live in the shadow of, of a place like Havana, but it had its moment. I feel like, you know, yeah. the early 1960s, it, it had its moment where Hot Springs really stuck their, their chest out and said, look at us, you know, we can be a big we can be a big time city. You know, we can be an international, you know, tourist destination. We can be an all-American kind of place. Um, but it was very short lived.
0: And but you do do like a you tell us who who was there. The vapors booked big acts, and um, one of my favorite little snippets that you talk about, which like, how did you get this story, um, is when Lucky Luciano was the most wanted man in America. He he took a trip to Hot Springs and just happened yeah. to walk by. an NYPD officer.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. He, um, he, when the police were kind of right about to catch him in New York city, um, he, I mean, he just skirts, right. He like, just gets out, like they're knocking on the door and he's jumping out the back window to get away from them. And he immediately gets in a car and takes off and they, his friends tell him, you should go to hot springs, you know, go to hot springs and lay there. So he, he picks up his girlfriend. They drive to hot springs. And um and he's hanging out. I mean he's like he's he Oni takes him to meet the mayor, he meets the police chief. Everybody's so happy he's there. He's like treated like royalty and he's dining with celebrities and everything. And he's like, you know, whatever, like living the life of Riley in Hot Springs for weeks and weeks until as you just mentioned, a um uh, a, a New York police officer is down in Hot Springs to pick up a suspect on a completely unrelated thing and just runs into him walking down the street and he's walking down the street with the chief of detectives. Sure. So the cop is like, what am I gonna do? I gotta call, I gotta <laughs> call call New York lucky. And he's like, you do what you gotta do. So then this big standout and what's crazy about the story, I won't tell the whole story now, yeah. but you know, Hot Springs, the, the city government and the city police protect him. And the New York governor calls the Arkansas governor and says, You got to send them, send us this guy and they won't let him take them. So there's a standoff between law enforcement where they're all pointing guns at each other, trying to, you know, where the hot Springs cops are trying to protect Lucky Luciano. So it was a weird place. Hot Springs was a weird place in the middle of Arkansas that was, I mean, completely corrupt to the bone.
0: It's so funny because the place literally um, is a place where people go and take the waters. Mm -hmm. um, and, And I my sense is that a hundred years ago or so hot springs were seen as like a panacea for all kinds of ailments.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of the kind of running themes in the book in the end when i when I wrote it, I realized that like water was really a big theme in a lot of ways. I mean, hot springs, look, there's a lot of places like hot springs around the world, right? There's there's spa towns all over the world, like Baden-Baden right. or whatever. Yeah. Like Palm Springs. I mean, these these places existed because doctors thought that this water like cured things, right? So doctors would prescribe patients to go take these baths and not just take it for like one day, but like to take it every day until you were cured, which sometimes meant months and months or forever. And so these towns ended up having lots of like transient, you know, people would come and go, they'd come and they'd stay for a few months, they'd leave um and so hospitality industry is built up around that but yeah the water in hot springs the hot springs that come out of the ground it had people thought it had this medicinal quality so they built this community there and then once they realized it didn't cure you that the water didn't cure you anymore it still remained to be a uh an attraction right people still came to see the hot water to take baths in the water even long after they realized it didn't cure you but also i think it it led me to think about the other ways in the story that people think about water is, you know, like baptism is a big theme in the book
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, and and the sort of Pentecostal church and Southern Pentecostal traditions. And, and, and baptism is another form of this where they think that the water is curing you, right? So yeah. throughout the, so Hot Springs is just this place where I think people come, they're looking for redemption in one way or another, and they're hoping that the water will cure them or the water will wash away their sins or that something about Hot Springs, you know, literally or figuratively is going to like change them for the better and help help them you know deliver them to a better place and it always ends up being wrong (laughs) you know they all in every case throughout history it's like it in in every case throughout this book people are wrong about what hot springs is going to do for them
0: and it's i mean you go looking for health perhaps back in the day and it just so happened that there was every kind of vice you could look for while you were getting well.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the package, right? I mean, in the 1920s, you know, when these towns existed, I think the reason that the gambling business built up around it was because wherever there's a lot of tourists, there were a lot of like marks that were easy for con artists to you know, fleece. <laughs> right. And so um, people, con artists from around America came to hot springs to kind of set up shop to take down tourists and to scam them and so those evolved into eventually become legitimate casinos but for a long time they were just like they were rigged casinos or these auction houses i mean it was all just a a, you know sort of an assortment of ways for people to take tourists money from them that eventually became you know the um the gambling industry, and uh, like I said, it, it, it re- eventually the government and other ba- gambling bosses were able to regulate it and make it a little bit more on the square. But um, but yeah, I think you see that same development in Saratoga Springs and I mean bon- bon- all these different Monte Carlo, where it began as a way to like rip people off, and eventually evolved into something that was still ripping people off, but at least had a little bit <laughs> more legitimacy to it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell me a little bit about prohibition too, and how that um, worked in because I have found it. So, I mean, yes, of course, the mob was during prohibition, making most of their earnings from alcohol.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, I mean, yeah,
1: so prohibition Arkansas is a little bit late, you know, they, they're yeah. always a little bit behind the rest of the country to this day, you know, they still tend to like lag behind. And so even after liquor was became legal again, It took a while for Arkansas to legalize it, and even after Arkansas um, legalized it, there were all these restrictions on it, right? Like they would not allow you to sell liquor by the glass in restaurants or whatever. I mean, you could only buy it, you know, certain ways, and so package stores, yeah, yeah, and package stores, and and so you could buy alcohol for your own use, right? You could take it home, uh, take home a bottle of whiskey, but you couldn't buy a drink in a restaurant, which is sort of a weird a uh, weird way to like whatever split the difference but that's the way it was in arkansas during this period of time so even though prohibition was over there was still an illicit gambling business because if you were willing to sell liquor by the glass in your restaurant you were going to get a lot of that that business so it's almost like prohibition kind of ex- extended into sure. you know the 1930s in arkansas and also the states around arkansas i mean oklahoma stayed completely right. dry you know they were one of the last states in louisiana they were a couple of the last states to uh, allow people to buy alcohol at all and so there was also a bit in the book where dane harris makes some money you know taking liquor across the border into oklahoma and um so bootlegging continued to be a, a, a lucrative profession in oklahoma even after prohibition
0: yeah i do want to talk a little bit more about your father because i, I again this goes back to the question how much did you know about his life how much did he tell you how much did you learn from other people?
1: Um, I think he, again, he was fairly open about some things, but there was a lot I learned, you know, while writing this book and he had passed away in 2009. So I didn't get a chance to talk to him for the book other than, you know, stories that I, <laughs> he had told me my whole life. Right. But, but yeah, I think, you know, a number of the stories about my dad in this book came from friends of his or from family members or whatever. Um, and and so, yeah, I learned a lot more during the I learned a lot more about him through the process of writing this book, which I was grateful for. I mean, it was it was part of what motivated me to write the book in this way was the opportunity to get to learn more about my family um, in the process of writing about this place that I'm from. I mean, you know, I'm not a historian or like a you know a scholar or whatever. So, like, you know, I didn't want to just write like a straight up, you know, history of hot springs i don't think that i would be the right person to write that book anyway but you know this opportunity to write about my family gave me a chance to both you know it was motivating but also i think it may hopefully made the book richer you know what i mean for me to be able to explore some of these things and write about them at the same time that i'm writing about this place and i think they're connected i think that this this family and this place are connected i think the two stories do have a lot to do with each other even though at first glance they may not seem like they do i mean this is the place that made this family and this family is a you know is sort of a product of this place i mean hot springs it's the, the book is about a community over the course of like 40 years and and i think that that community almost has like a character of its own right and the people in that community exhibit the ways that that community has that character and i think my family exhibits one side of that community that maybe is not as pretty, right? I mean <laughs> there's the other characters in this book are, are wealthy and powerful and there's some high stakes and drama to to the decisions they make, but what's going on in the Hill family in some ways might be lower stakes, but in other ways is just is incredibly much more dramatic, right? And mm-hmm. and so and so yeah, my dad um you know, he had a tough run. He's the youngest of three boys and his two older brothers were fortunate enough to get get the hell out of town as soon as they were old enough to enlist in the service and you know left to left to go you know serve in the military so my dad was kind of alone with my grandmother during her hardest stretch you know when the sort of her addiction had really taken hold of her the the worst and he became kind of her caregiver um as a teenager, which is a strange dynamic, and it was unfortunate that that kind of had to be his relationship with her. But in a weird way, even as I was in a, as I was growing up, I noticed that like my father had a much closer relationship to my grandmother than his brothers did,
0: mm-hmm. and I think
1: that's just because you know having been that for her and been in that situation with her, rather than resent her for it, as somebody might have plenty of right to do, it made him feel much more sympathy and feel closer to her, and defended her and you know protected her all the way through the rest of her life. Um, But yeah, as a kid, he was, as a teenager, he was really responsible for, you know, taking her to the emergency room if she was like, whatever, like ODing or something and, um, you know, making sure that she had food in the kitchen and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, he had a very um, unfortunate and unique situation as a teenager.
0: And you, you end the book before we see what he becomes. Can you tell us just a little bit about <laughs> your father? And... Yeah,
1: I get the, people. I get this question a lot. You know, it's sort of weird is that this is my first book, and so I get a lot of emails from people that have just finished reading the book, and they find, like, my website, and they send me these emails, and they're like, oh, did did uh, Judy and Jimmy get married? And that's, like, all the email will say, or <laughs> say like, what happened to Hazel, question mark. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating, I'm sure, for people who read the book to not know, like, you know, how all these people's lives turned out. But my dad, in the end of the book, is going away to college. He did go to college. Um, He didn't stay for very long. He ends up going to Vietnam and uh, was in the war. And uh, when he comes back from Vietnam, he doesn't go back to school or anything. He just sort of works construction. I mean, and then not long after that, he gets a woman pregnant and then I was born. So (laughs) it was, uh, and you know, my dad, you know, he figured it out, but I think that the 1970s were a strange time for him after the war. I think that he was sort of drifting and trying to figure out, figure out his life. Um, and so like a lot of us, you know, having kids, I think helped him figure out what his life was going to be. But, um, Hazel, you know, she, my dad um, does not end up getting married to Judy, you know, I think the the (laughs) going to to Vietnam, I think really, you know, split, you know, uh, created even more distance between the two of them. And, and I think high school sweethearts
0: or even junior high sweethearts, right?
1: Right, right. And it's, um, I think the experience of going to the war was transformative for him. And I think he probably came back a different person. And so I think it would have been hard for him to keep any relationships together after that, um. But uh, but yeah, and, and you know, in, in a weird way, it's not a, it's too sad of an ending. I mean, Hazel survives. I mean, in some ways, throughout this whole story, in learning all this, it was a, I felt like it was miraculous that this family stayed together, that Hazel <laughs> lived, that her children lived. I mean, that, you know, nobody ends up in prison. I mean, they really kind of, like, defied the odds in so many ways. I think that, like, while there's a lot of sadness here, there's also, there's something kind of... I think there's like a happy ending here in the fact that like, you know, Hazel ends up living until 1991. She, you know what I mean? She kind of gets her life together. Her, her kids all end up okay. You know, they end up getting married and starting their own families and she, she gets a chance to see all that. And, and so, you know, I think that there's a bit of a happy ending in that. Um, But it's not the kind of happy ending I think that people might root for or expect, you know, because in the end, everybody just has these kind of simple you know working-class existences in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas but I mean when you look at what you, if you look at like how much Hazel was like <laughs> really just playing in traffic and you know really gambling with her her life and her family it's it's amazing that you know she m- emerges from that relatively unscathed
0: David thank you so much this was great before we go do you have any books that you would like to recommend
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, well, I just finished um, Luster, which I don't need to recommend to your listeners because everybody's already bought that and read it. But um, it was great. I also just recently finished, um, I finished uh, Furious Hours, which I had pre-ordered because I was so excited about it, but it took me a long time to finally pick up and read it. And I was insanely jealous and everybody should read it if you haven't read Furious Hours yet. Um, And I'm going camping tomorrow. I'm going on a long camping trip and I'm taking with me... um, desert notebooks and and I'm also taking Cuyahoga which hasn't come out yet but I have an advanced copy of it which Ooh. is Pete Beatty's novel um those two seem like good camping yeah. camping books so um I'm taking them with me but I haven't read them yet uh but they both I'm excited to read both of those while I'm out in the middle of the woods
0: that counts I hope you have a good <laughs> trip um That's...
1: and thank you so much well thank you so much for having me this has been great